switch, and that one switch always misses a fellow up, I'm telling you. Thank you for that testimony. I was trying to tell the young folk that all week, and I'm glad to hear your testimony tonight. Thank the Lord. Well, I was thinking while Miss Joanne was leading us in Beulah land, won't that be a wonderful day? And uh, you think about it. We'll have neither spot nor wrinkle nor any such thing. It'll be wonderful. Won't it be wonderful there, having no burden to bear? So I'm grateful today. I want to say thank the Lord uh, with a group of folk gathering in Arkansas for a prison revival, a women's prison. And our director of women's prisons, Miss Yvonne Brown, was about an hour and a half away from the prison, and it was raining real hard. She come around a curve, and the, the truck, the little truck she was driving, hydroplaned. She jumped a ditch, hit a power pole, and splintered it, and rolled and tumbled, totaled the truck. And some men helped her out, except for some scratches and some cuts from the glass. She was okay. I thank the Lord for that. She said, Brother Ron, you wouldn't believe anybody come through that thing. But she said, when I saw it was gone and there wasn't anything I could do about it, I just cried out to the Lord and said, a peace come over me. And I just relaxed and he held me in his arms, I guess. But I came through when I was so glad. She's a tremendous soul winner and a great lady in the prisons. So God is good, isn't he? Amen. As the prisoners say, they've been taught to say all the time. God is good all the time, they'll say. And then we swap up on them and say all the time. And then they have to say, God is good. And God is good, isn't he, all the time. We're glad you're here tonight. Thank you for our visitors being here, too, this evening. We're glad they're here, too. Well, we finished this morning with your school children. I want to tell you what a blessing it was to me to teach them each morning at 11 o'clock. I really enjoyed them. They were a bunch of good kids. They didn't look at you like... uh, what planet did you step off of? And uh, man, we're cool. They didn't act like that at all, and I greatly enjoyed them. And I want you to know that you got good boys and girls, and they like preaching. And I, I thank the Lord for them and for you that are paying the price. Judy and I did too, and I'm glad uh, that we did. Tonight, if you look again, just so you don't forget, if you want to look at two places in your Bible, if you'd like to find for me tonight Isaiah chapter 53, and then come back up there to Acts 1 and 8. And tonight, I'd like to take you again and try to show you the esteemed honor of being a witness, of being a witness. Every one of us are to be a witness, and uh, it's not just to live right in front of people, but it's to open your mouth and be a witness by the good grace of God. And, uh, of course, living right is important. There's no doubt about that. But still, people need to know why you're living differently from the world, and only you can tell them that. Well, you see, we're saved. Uh, We're born again. That's why we live differently. Because people will ask you, why don't you do that? After I got saved in the Navy, every time there was some kind of a beer bust and some kind of a squadron party, I always took the duty for them because I wasn't going to go. And I didn't want them to make me go. So I just say, put me on duty, and I'll take the duty, and you guys go do whatever you're going to do. I knew what they were going to do, because I used to do it with them. I tried to use it for a testimony, 
sometimes I'd come in the locker room and they'd say, the preacher's here, let's everybody take up an offering. And one of them snatched their hat off and they'd start passing the hat. And I'd look at them and say, now you understand, if you're going to pay me, I'm going to preach. And they'd say, let me out of here. Let's go. Come on, get out of here. Don't give him any more money. Let's just go. And uh, you can be a witness, can't you? Had a lot of folks saved in the Navy in those years. Well, here was the verse last night, Acts 1 and 8. But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the othermost part of the earth. And last night we looked at the phrase, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. We went all the way back in Genesis and found that same phrase, didn't we? Many folk don't know that it's even back there. But if you know it's back there and you go back and, and understand the illustration with Abraham, then you'll understand a little bit more the esteemed honor of being a witness. And it is an honor, isn't it? It is. Well, tonight, if you come to Isaiah 53, I'd like to take some thoughts out of this chapter tonight, this wonderful chapter on the Lord Jesus, Isaiah chapter 53. And uh, if you look there, I'm only going to read the first four verses for right now. If you can put your Bible ribbon there, I believe it would be helpful for you uh, tonight. In Isaiah 53, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Hold your place there for me just for a few minutes, and let's pray, and then we'll, in this spot, before I do that, you understand this is Isaiah's prophetic account of the Lord Jesus. Some say 800 years before Christ was born. Others say 900 years. Uh, somewhere in there, Isaiah lived, and the Holy Ghost gave him these thoughts about the Lord Jesus Christ that would be born of the Virgin. For example, look in verse 1 just a minute, and then we'll pray. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? You remember this week one night we talked about the arm of the Lord, the right arm of the Lord. It's the arm of his strength. He always bears his arm when it comes to salvation, to deliverance, like when he brought his children out of the land of Egypt. And Isaiah said, To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? You remember in John chapter 1, it said, As many as received him, to them gave he the power the power. That's that right arm, that strong arm. And where did we see God save us from? From the horrible pit, from the miry clay. To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Well, I tell you to who it's revealed to, that individual that the Holy Spirit says to them, He will reach way down to lift you out. He will reach even you. 
He can reach you. And you know you can come and you can say, no, I don't think we can get saved. I don't think I, don't think I could live it. Boy, that's the way I was about the Navy. How was I going to live for Christ in the Navy? I didn't know much about being saved except what I heard at church and saw in Granny's life. But I knew Granny's lifestyle and my lifestyle was two different ways. She was going the straight and narrow, and I was walking on the broad way. But you know, when you come and you let someone take the Bible and show you, suddenly, as only God can do, He'll start making you realize the arm of the Lord, the strong arm of the Lord, is outstretched towards you. He can reach you. He will reach you. He will bring you up, lift you out. Love lifted me. You remember that? Isn't that wonderful? Way back here in Isaiah, then when you read John 1, there it is. Isaiah called it the arm of the Lord. But John 1 calls it the power. To him gave he the power to become the sons of God. Boy, he's lifted up, up a long way, isn't he? From a child of the devil to a son of God. Well, let's pray. And I read just the first four verses because uh, the first point will be right there. We'll be ready. Let's pray together tonight. And our Heavenly Father, we lift our eyes to Thee tonight. Thank You for the wonderful songs we sang that will be a great day when we sit down in your house at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now tonight, we're in this wonderful chapter of Isaiah, all about Christ, every verse. And precious Holy Spirit, would you please take the Word of God, your Word, and for Jesus' sake, would you carry it to the heart? Lord, make Christ and salvation real tonight where all there is is an old lost heart. Sins piled up until you can't see at the top of them. And no hope for tomorrow. God, help us tonight. Speak to your people. They've been faithful. And dear Lord, would you please bless us all tonight. May we close tonight with a great psalm of rejoicing. And we'll give you the praise and speak only of you. In Jesus' name we ask, amen and amen. Come then to verse 3, and let me read again to you. And we'll come down to verse 4, and I'll show you what's on my heart. He is despised and rejected of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Can I just stop there a moment and say to you, that's about what's in this old world. Sorrows and grief. Heartaches. There's so much of it. I want you to see that the Lord Jesus Christ is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Every one of you that life has been hard on, hard to, and, uh, and you are bitter about it, and so forth. Jesus is who you want to go to. He understands. He knows. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. All right, read again. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. That is, they would not receive him. You remember that. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. That is, they did not realize his worth, his royalty, his majesty. They never did realize that. And when they should have looked and studied and said, yes, like Nicodemus did, 
No man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. But instead of that, they looked away. Now come to verse 4. Here's where you and I come in. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Now that's where I want to start tonight. I want you to understand the estimation that was made. And it's told to us here in that phrase. Yet we did esteem him. That is, we reckoned him. We thought about it, and this is the conclusion we came to. Stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. They said, when we saw him on the cross, you remember how battered and beaten Pilate and the soldiers made of him? The flogging with the cat and nine tails until even his own mother wouldn't have recognized him on the cross. And Pilate hung a sign up there. This is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. But you see, they, they said the reason he has suffered so bad is because he's been stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. They didn't see themselves. They didn't see their own sins. They looked at him and said, God did that. God's angry with him. You remember one time they said he cast out devils by the prince of the devils. And, and God warned them against the sin, the unpardonable sin of, of laying the things that the Holy Ghost does and given credit to Satan. And uh, here they esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. You remember out in Moses' day, Aaron and uh, Miriam uh, uh, brought an accusation against Moses, and God came down and chided uh, uh, Moses and Aaron or excuse me, Aaron and, and Miriam, for doing that to Moses. And when he rose up from the tabernacle, he struck Miriam, and she became a leper, white as snow. And they said, God, God has stricken him. God smote him. God afflicted him. They're given the credit to God for doing this to his son. It's like, come back to your, don't lose that, but come back to the book of Numbers just a minute. In Numbers chapter 3, just a minute. And look there at Aaron's two sons, Nadab and Abihu. Uh, and it says in verse 4 of Numbers chapter 3, and Nadab and Abihu died before the Lord when they offered strange fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. Now notice, I know God killed them. He smote them, that's right, and they died. But notice what that smiting also included. And they had no children. They left no children behind them to carry their name on. And when you come to Isaiah 53, where we're looking at in verse 4, that's really what the Jews meant. Yet we did esteem him smitten, stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. They said words like this. Well, that's the end of that Nazarene. That's the end of his movement. He come on the scene like all the rest did and made a big flash in the pan. 
But now it's all over. Look at him on the cross. He's going to die up there. And he has no children to carry on his name. No children to follow him. No children to rise up in his stead. It was really a blow to a Jewish individual to have no children. You remember how Hannah weeped before God. You remember how uh, uh, Rachel or Rebecca, I always get them mixed up, wept before God because they wanted a child. It was that way for men too, for men to be childless, for a man not to have a son to carry on his name. It, it was thought of as the fact that God smote him. It was a judgment from God. And in verse 4, that's how they saw the Lord. No children, nobody to carry on his name, nobody at all. Let's read again in Isaiah 53, and let's start in verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And, and don't quit. Just hold your finger there a minute. You know, we say he bore our sins. And he did, didn't he? That's what it said. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. All your sins were put upon Christ. Every sin, past, present, future, all of them. In fact, when he died, all of your sins and my sins were future as far as time is concerned, but he bore it all. Now in verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Notice this statement. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people was he stricken. Remember they esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. And in verse 8 it asks, And who shall declare his generation? Here's what it means by that people. In the Hebrew society, if a man was going to be executed, especially if he was to be executed by the Romans, and if he was to be executed by the Romans, the law said that his son, there'd be more than that, but his son at least, had to go up and down through the land of Israel for three days prior to this dad's death and declare the good things that their dad had done. He might go along saying, he was a good daddy. He was good to my mother. He paid his bills. He was an honest man. His handshake was law with him. He would state all the good things by him. For example, if it had been the Apostle Paul, he would have said, and he taught me to be a tent maker, and he got me the best education that he could have gotten me. All of those things Paul's daddy did. But you see, when God smote him and he had no children, there was nobody to go up and down the land he is going to die on the cross, and nobody but nobody is going to declare the good things that he done. You think about all the people that 
that she healed, where were they? You think about all the people that he fed, where were they? What about the people he raised from the dead, where were they? There was nobody. Christ is hanging on the cross and not a single person is speaking good of him. And the people said, see there, it's not us that did it. God smote him. God's angry at him. God knows the truth about him. And they blame God for killing the Son of God because nobody declared his name. Nobody. I'll tell you, that's a sad thing in Bible days that nobody would speak up for you. A sad thing. I remember a man, the first man after they reinstated the death penalty in America, and I was working in the prison in Florida as a missionary part-time and uh, in the death house. And the first man to die in America died in Florida, and his name was Spickling. And his mother came from California about two weeks before he went down. And every day she had special visitation rights, and every day for them two weeks you'd see her. She was a crippled lady, walked on a cane, and uh, she was kind of a heavy-set lady, and she walked on that cane, and it was a long way from the parking lot to a death cell, and especially where Spinkelick was, he was right outside uh, the actual death chamber, and she would come every day. Now, she was a bitter-looking lady. I don't know that she was bitter. I never spoke to her, but... Um, she was a bitter-looking lady. And I thought about how every day you'd see her come in and go back to where Spickling was and then turn around and come all the way back out. And I thought to myself, yes, somebody should have done that for Christ. He was hated of everyone because he had our sins upon him, your sins and mine. Our sins were upon him, and he looked awful as he suffered under the load of sin. And not a single person, nobody, spoke well of him. Who shall declare his generation? Who's going to go up and down the road for him? I remember tonight, I want you to see one more time the esteemed honor of being a witness. Are you ready? Come back there and let's read now. Verse beginning in verse uh, 9. Let's read verse 9 and we'll read to the end of the chapter and then come back and I'll try to help us to see it tonight. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He had put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his day. Notice those words. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Now listen tonight. Who's going to declare his generation? 
is the question. Notice in verse 10, there's the hint of something that has never before been known. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He put him to grief, for now shall make a soul an offering for sin. Comma. Now listen to this. How is this possible if he's going to die on the cross? He shall see his seed. You know, it said that somebody needed to go up and down the road and declare his generation. But the Bible said here, he shall prolong his days. Look, look down in verse 12. It said he bared the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. There's a hint of something in there. And the hint is the resurrection. There's going to be a resurrection. They said his father smote him. But God's going to raise him from the dead, isn't he? To show that he is the righteous man that he said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. There's the hint right in the midst of that. And the hint that that day that someone was to go up and down the road will be prolonged. Come back in your Bible to Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is the psalm of the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And I want you to see, you read down through Psalm 22, you read the sufferings of Christ, the terrible beatings that he took, how he took our sins in his own body on a tree, how they looked at him as a worm and no man. Now notice in Psalm 22, from 1, verse 1, to verse 20, it's nothing but his death. Listen in verse 20 and 21, he is still making this prayer, deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog, save me from the lion's mouth. For thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. Then suddenly in verse 22, you read this. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. What happened between verse 21 and 22? There was a resurrection, wasn't it? He comes forth from the grave. He lives. Do you understand that? Just like that, it passes to the resurrection of Christ. Just like that, it does it. You can't declare his name among his brethren if you're dead. But he isn't dead. And how is he going to praise thee in the midst of the congregation if he's dead? But he isn't dead. All right? Come over to verse 30 and look at this. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born that he hath done this. Remember now, I'm working on the esteemed honor of being a witness. He had no witness going up and down the road. None. But God promised him a seed. And as weak as Peter and the other disciples were, the 120 that was in the upper room, after his resurrection, as weak as they were, with the coming of the blessed Holy Ghost upon them on the day of Pentecost, 
They became men and women of power. What kind of power? Power to witness. You remember these that have turned Jerusalem upside down are come hither also, didn't they? They turned it upside down. That's power, isn't it? And they were seed. And what happened? First of all, 3,000, then 5,000, then a multitude. That seed has sprouted out. How comes? Because there's been a witness given. Peter said, shall we obey God or man? You decide. But we can do nothing but obey God. They beat them. They threatened them. They put them in prison. And the angel came and took them out. Do you see? God's going to have a generation for Christ going up and down the land. He prolonged his day. Do you know that you're part of that chain? Do you realize that? The fact that you're still going out there, still being a witness, it's talking about me and you in these verses. Hallelujah! What more honor would you have than to be a witness? Come back to verse 30. I want to be sure you understand it. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. Now there's several things that that means. One thing I believe it means, at the end of every generation, account is made of the number of Christian people Believers that have received the Lord, obeyed Him and followed Him in believers' baptism, and are living for Him so that they're a testimony, an account is taken. Because you see, we, let's take me and Judy, our age group, we are the seed to the next generation. Perhaps that's Brother uh, Mickey and Miss Joanne. And when Judy and I are going, and they're the senior generation, an account will be made again of how many. And then it comes down to Brian and Sister Melanie. And, and, and it comes right on down to Gloria and to Thomas and to these kids, and it comes down, I started to have the nursery babies come in here tonight, but I've been in some prison riots, and I didn't want to have a riot in here tonight, so I didn't let them come in. I, I've been in a few riots, and they ain't fun, okay? So I didn't have them come in. But do you know that's true? Gloria, that might be, you'll be the seed to that generation. And until Jesus comes, guess what we do as Christians? We're going up and down the road. Do you know the Lord? If you died today, would you go to heaven? Is Christ your Savior? Have you believed on Him with your heart? I ask you, if you died today, would you go to heaven? We're doing what they said. He doesn't have anybody to do it because God's smooth. And can I tell you something? Now you just picture this. One of these days the trumpet will sound and a voice will say, Come up here! And all of us believers, including all that are in the graves, their bodies, will be caught up to meet him in the air. It ain't going to be a little handful. It ain't going to be about a hundred. It ain't going to be about a thousand. It'll be right in a God-given eyeball. To the glory of grace, it'll be so many. 
I don't believe you count them. That's how many people from around the world. There's a great revival in Thailand right now. There's things happening all around the world. People are getting saved. They're running buses in England just like you do in Dallas, Texas. That English man last night that was here was telling me their churches are dying. The only churches that are not dying are the churches Americans come and build, and they don't have any better sense than to start out door knocking right from the start. And the Episcopalian priests, they're not going to do that. And they run buses, and Brother Bowen and the group out of uh, Texas Baptist College are putting everything into Thailand. We're going to Cambodia and Laos and Vietnam, and they're running buses and building churches just like you do in Texas. Hallelujah. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. Ah, the esteemed honor. Do you know when you walk outside the door carrying your tracks, would you quit hanging your head and looking down like I'm just a poor, ignorant Baptist? If I had any sense, I'd be a Presbyterian. But I can't spell it. <laughs> you ought to go out there. Do you know as soon as you step out on the sidewalk and you stop the first person and say, could I show you how to go to heaven, please? Do you know you're accounted of? An accounting is made of you. God ain't accounting whether your softball team won the Baptist championship. God don't give a rip whether your team won the Baptist bowling league. In fact, instead of trying to knock down pins, why don't you bring my, your ball and I'll see if I can hit you. Are you looking at me? God ain't interested in how many hot dogs did you eat at the July 4th picnic. God ain't interested whether or not you've lost a half a pound of weight and you didn't lose it. It just shifted to another location and it will be back and bring seven more with it. Say amen right there. And you get all hipped up because you lost a half a pound. God wouldn't care if you'd get out there in the street and go up and down and speak for Jesus if you ate a, a large pizza and gained three. He's taking an account of who is speaking for Christ. That's what he's counting. You say, I can't be a preacher. Good. Just be a witness. Well, I, well, well, I want to be a preacher. Well, good. Then go on and be a preacher. But if you can't be a preacher, don't quit. Be a witness. That's how important it is. This entire book, Old Testament and New speaks of the importance of us. Think about it. His day has been prolonged 2,000 years. And we're counted. Please go soul witness week. Get out there on Saturday. Come on. Get out there on Saturday. Get out there. Go ahead. Give them out where you work. If you get fired, God will give you a better job. If you get fired for the right thing now, if it's because you was up somewhere smoking dope and you get fired, good. 
I'll try to get you a job catching cars going down the interstate. You outfit. Boy, ain't that wonderful? Nobody spoke up for him. Wifey, he's given us 42 years. Have we gone up and down the land? <laughs> My little grandson, when he was real little, took a nap this one day. And he opened it up and said, Papa, you ever been here? I said, yes. He'd find another place say, Papa, you been here? I'd say, yes. Well, then he found the world. He said, Papa, you been here? I said, yes. And I was telling him the truth. Finally, he said, hmm, you've been everywhere. And walked off. I wish that were true. Everywhere. Why? Because I'm going to give out my tracks just like you. We're going to do our best to see people saved. And God, I can't tell you how much he appreciates it. You know, you think it's a little thing when you walk the aisle to get saved. Come, Brother Mickey you, and Miss Joanne. You think it's a little thing to walk an aisle and get saved. Boy, I'm telling you, it ain't with God. It isn't with God. Do you know when you step out and say, let's go get saved tonight, honey? Do you know the night Judy and I joined hands and went and knelt down and said, Lord, you bought us and we just come tonight because we wanted to give back what you bought. Nobody, the drums didn't play. Nobody whistled and shouted. Nobody screamed like we were on the 50-yard line. Nobody. But heaven did. And God said, you, you better believe I'll take you. I need somebody to go up and down the land. There wasn't anybody the day he died on the cross. And I thank you for wanting to be one of them. There's no greater honor. None. None. No greater honor. And you can have it. Your testimony be good anywhere. You men can do it. You can do it. Some of the most feeble people get the most done. Dr. Bob Gray, I'm, when I see our sister back there in that little three-wheeled job or two, he had a lady that ended up in a chair like that, and she had a bus route. And he said, I guess you won't be able to do your bus route. And she said, I will so. And Brother Grace said, how? And she said, I'm getting a bell put on my, on my little cart. And I've already got a shopping bag with tracks and everything they knew. And I'm just going to go up and down the sidewalk and stop in front of every house and ring the bell till they come out. <laughs> And she did that, didn't she, wifey? And her butt strap grew and grew and grew. She's in heaven tonight, sister. I mean, she went up and down the sidewalks. And it was before the government said you have to be handicapped. Uh, uh, whatever, you know, you've got to make a way for the handicapped to come. And I'm not against that. I just don't know what to call it. She was doing it. Feeble people. I'm talking about people who can't speak well and people whose minds are, are not altogether right. There was a boy, he was afflicted, but he stood on a curve in West Virginia and flagged down cars and gave them tracks. And everybody knew he was there. Somebody put up a sign, be careful, handicapped person ahead. Because they knew he'd be out there. And he witnessed people, knew him, 
preachers would talk about him. And he couldn't even talk plain. He'd just try and give you a gospel track. And people get saved and write back to him. You don't know how much the Father appreciates. Rosemary, you got baptized, didn't you? Sunday or Monday? Monday. I, I ain't saw no Dallas paper, but I know it wasn't on the TV. Nobody cared except. He cared. He can't. You'll see that one day, Rosemary. You can't even begin to imagine what He's going to pour on you. Just because when them people said, He's smitten of God, there ain't nobody that's ever going to speak up for Him. And some of you, your bubble's so balanced, it's right in the middle. It's right in the middle. You're so level-headed. You ought to hang around with Brother brother Bryant Fisher and kind of get your bubble off center. If you was about a half a bubble off, you could do what I'm talking about. You know who's going to have the rewards in heaven? People that are half a bubble off. Everybody that's straight on dries a fish. The esteemed honor of being a witness. Won't you join us tonight? Won't you say, I will too? Preacher, I'll go. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, I want to be counted. I'll get saved tonight. Preacher, I'll come forward and make it public. Preacher, I'll get baptized. Preacher, I will. Bow your heads with me just a minute. Brother Mickey, you know. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Nobody looking around for just a minute. Many of you here tonight can say, 